My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yo, yo, birdie buddies. This week's fairway roll and brought to you as always by our good friends at Callaway Golf, makers of the brand new Maverick Fairway Woods. These fairway woods are complete innovations. They have all the technology you would expect. Jailbreak technology, triaxial, carbon crown, face cup. But Callaway put to work artificial intelligence to get a different face to work with the specifications of each head at every loft. I have in my possession a Maverick Max 3 wood extremely forgiving 200 cc nice big face weighted to promote easy launch and a distance enhancing joe house draw you have to get on the maverick max low leading edge for better performance on thin shots that could come in handy as well check out the maverick fairway woods at callawaygolf.com Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast, unlike any other. Yes, indeed. You've made it. We are here. It is another green edition of Fairway Roll in the Golf Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Callaway Golf. I am your starter. Joe House, my Eagle enthusiast, jam-packed show this week. We were fortunate enough to pull in the author of a profile of Brooks Kepka that has been making the rounds. GQ correspondent Daniel Riley is on to tell us about what went into this story about Brooks. And we had to grab our pal Jason Sobel 
from the Action Network because the Action Network and the PGA Tour just cut a deal where the Action Network is serving as the platform, the betting platform, the golf gambling platform for the tour. I can't wait to hear what it is that that Sobel and the Action Network have cooked up, but let's talk to our man Danny Riley first and get a little insight into Brooks Kepka. The first tee is open. Let's go over there and throw a peg in the ground. All right, my birdie buddies. Now on the tee, this gentleman authored a magazine profile last week that caught the golf world by storm because we have an insatiable appetite for all things Brooks Kepka. He is a correspondent for GQ magazine, Daniel Riley. What's happening, Danny boy? Hey, House. Thank you for having me on. I can't wait to talk about Kepka with you. Yes. Well, thank you very much for, for writing the story and, and springing it on us. Um, it, it is an interesting time to uh, be, be sort of looking at Brooks and, and his uh, place in the game and what 2020 might hold for him. Because on the one hand, he is still working his way back off of injury um, and has been complaining recently about his knee uh, affecting his, his performance. On the other hand, we don't have any majors coming up <laughs> yet, so we're not going to make any, any rash judgments about where he is. But he's been plenty candid in interviews and and wherever uh, folks are sticking a microphone in his face about various uh, aspects of of the game, his opinions on a whole bunch of things, and your story was a was a top to bottom um, treatment of that. I want to begin with with this. You said on your very own Twitter that Brooks is probably the most interesting athlete profile that you've ever worked on. Well, what, what's interesting about Brooks is that um, you have this player who has is, is not like um, you know twenty two years old or, or anything like that. He's twenty nine. He's he's been around. He's no longer number one, but was for for much of last year number one um, player in the world, and still had that thing following him around of just not quite being a household name yet. People people not fully uh, knowing who this guy is he keeps his cards pretty close to his vest although he was starting to uh use the megaphone a little bit more liberally last year um talking about things like like um slow play or just kind of little jabs at, at the game of golf in general and um and so in that sense i had never worked on a piece where it was a an athlete who had succeeded so much and was at, was literally the number one player um in the world when, when i was working on the the story and who had simultaneously not not had hardly anything written about him in a sort of deep revealing way. Certainly there had been um, you know, lots of coverage of his his victories and certain things that were known about him, but both um he and I acknowledged the fact that for that coverage there still was not a ton that had gotten way beneath the surface into some of the uh, you know, not just the way that he thinks about golf and other sports and, um, and his sort of reputation, but also just little innocuous things about how he lives his life and the, and the things that he, um, you know, considers important to him, whether that's, um, as in the piece, sort of this, this group of friends that he has that have nothing to do with golf and the way that he kind of likes, um, 
cordoning himself off um, among a, a non-golfing set um, when it comes to free time, the way that he thinks about how to how to kind of organize his life, the fact that he, you know, acknowledges that he could walk away from golf um, if, if, you know, his time was up and it would, you know, he'd miss it, but it wouldn't be like some of these other guys who you really understand that to be the only way that they can kind of think about um, their life. And just as an athlete who's as dominant as he is, you just don't hear that very often. And so, so for me, it was sort of like this, this opportunity to get this person who is at the top of the game, but who so little had been kind of um, uh, spoken about again, beyond the, you know, 10 or 12 things that everybody kind of thinks they know about him. Yeah. And, and the story, you know, leads with this idea that he is the sport's most dominant, most inscrutable player. And he is, he is indeed both of those things, uh, at least in terms of, um, you know, major victories over the last couple of years here on the dominant side, certainly in, in screwed, the inscrutability. Um, and you, you kind of referenced this. We've only really gotten to know him over the last 12 months or so. And that, uh, maybe 18 months. And it has been coincident with, his sort of taking the game by the throat and, you know, putting himself as a, as a, an item of, of interest because he's doing relatively unprecedented things like only tiger, only uh, Jordan Spieth in kind of recent memory with the kind of number of majors that he's built up. But, you know, now that he's, you know, a, a, a lead item of interest and the, the, the sporting public at large, um, is always curious when somebody comes, uh, what, what feels like out of nowhere and sort of takes over a sport, the, 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 uh, sports fans at large want to get to know what it is go, uh, about that person, what's going on with that person. And so we, we have this, uh, really interesting kind of two side, uh, personality with, with Brooks, it seems to me where on the one side. He's very like deliberate in in how he appears at the golf course, the press conferences and interviews that occur in that venue. And then the way that he has been candid over the last 12 to 18 months in different kind of fora, podcasts and, and other kinds of interviews for different media purposes. What did you did you encounter anything in terms of the two sides of this persona or, or do you even agree that there's two sides? Maybe there's more. No, I, I do. And it, it's kind of like, um, it, it, when, when I was talking with Brooks, it reminded me of one other person that I'd written about who has had similar things said about him, which is, uh, Russell Westbrook and the way that his sort of, um, you know, maybe it's too strong to say disdain, but just his skepticism of the, the kind of beat reporters and their questions and that sort of the, the innocuous, uh, kind of grinding on the same five or six things or, you know, starting every question with uh, how do you how do you play today? You know, he he seems to have zero patience for that kind of thing. And so, on the one hand, there is an inscrutability that is both a sort of frustration with that kind of coverage of him, combined with this fact. And he gets into it in the piece about the way that he is so deliberate about um, not showing any emotion when he's playing, not reacting to shots positively or negatively, because he's watching all the other competitors who are within, you know, kind of a, the periphery of him. And he's assuming that they're watching him. So to give them anything visual beyond, as he puts it, just the one sense of the sound of the ball 
that would be like giving them an athletic advantage in this competition that he maybe he's the only one that's playing it quite this way in the sense of like he's he's trying to win a a one-on-one that maybe the other person doesn't know that they're playing but he's thinking about it in those ways that really turns him into this sort of like icy block that um i think i get why fans um i i was one of them were kind of like i don't i just don't get this guy like he's He's so dominant, but you don't see any of the emotion that you get from any of the other players with the ups and downs, the disappointments, or that sort of like, uh, you know, euphoria with a with a, a great shot coming down the stretch of one of the majors. It was just so cold blooded that it, it it's challenging to um, and it makes one think like, oh, I wonder how much is going on in there. At the same time, apparently, this was all just sort of, uh, you know, roiling beneath the surface, and he was kind of waiting for people to start asking about this, this sort of stuff. And once he got that, um, that platform, he was really, uh, it, it seems like the feedback has been very positive for him, whether it's sort of, um, you know, uh, tussling with Bryson DeChambeau or Rory McElroy or, uh, people that kind of come at him about things, the, the kind of positive feedback to that sort of sharp elbowed, um, way of, of just talking to some of those other guys or, um, you know, coming out and being like, oh, I think I can say some things about the game of golf or maybe some of these announcers or maybe the way that courses are set up, you know, the things that you saw um, dominant players of their time always kind of pushing on the boundaries of those things. And it, it seemed like um, I, I just felt it and just kind of going back to my experience writing um, some of these sports profiles where I get to be a bit of an outsider. I'm not covering these guys daily and they face sometimes say things and sometimes they don't, I could tell that he saw this as an opportunity to really kind of go long on some of these answers and, and really talk about some of the stuff that I'm sure he's been thinking about, um, you know, since he was a, a, a young, a young player, um, but just kind of hadn't had the opportunity to be like, okay, I'm just going to really start to say that stuff. And so I totally agree with you that there are these two things. Um, and sometimes they're, they're contradictory. <laughs> That's another funny thing about him is sometimes the things he says, you know, he can be like, um, you know, this, uh, this, this way about golf is, um, is, is not the way I want it and kind of turn around and, and, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about even, even some of the, his criticisms of private, uh, private golf and the, and, and country club golf and the, in the piece, but he himself of course belongs to clubs that he plays out of as a professional and, um, and, and things like that. So there, there, I think he's working through a lot of this stuff and, and, and really adapting, um, to the spotlight and I've kind of enjoyed watching it. Yeah, and there are a couple of things that you touched on that I want to follow up on. There is kind of this um, psychological aspect to his competitive instincts um, that kind of serves as a through line um, th- throughout the story. It, 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 it touches on his relationships with other players on tour, and it touches on his demeanor, and you know, it, it definitely affects the relatability um, that we've been looking for, um, you know, golf fans in the first place. And then the, the greater sporting public at large as, as Brooks's successes have put him on, on a, you know, more prominent worldwide kind of stage, but I'm interested, I want to start with, with a little bit of like behind the scenes, um, if it's okay, because I'm just like the, some of the, um, sort of interaction that came through in the piece felt like kind of new information relating to Brooks and, and, and I use that literally like relating to Brooks. I'm trying to, you know, um, uh, see him in his daily existence and then, you know, try and, and put that together along with the great success that, that he's had, you know, as part of the, you know, as a fan of the game. 
Um, how did you like reach out to him and what was the initial interaction like? I had kind of had my eye on a potential story on him for those reasons that I was mentioning earlier of just sort of like, I couldn't remember the last time we'd done had the opportunity to really do the first big profile on an athlete of that stature. Sometimes you get people when they're just starting out or coming up or maybe on the comeback or, or whatever it is, but to, to get somebody at their, um, you know, what, what feels like uh, a peak or maybe the early part of a peak um, and, and kind of be able to tell that story for the first time was, was really exciting. And I think that they understood that um, and, and um, kind of, I think his, the fact that it was a venue like GQ instead of a Sports Illustrated or an ESPN, which he had done certain things with or a Golf Digest, but that, that there, our whole thing um, in a lot of these pieces is to get that off, off field, off arena, off uh, course life uh, in there. And I think that that was interesting to him too, that I was as interested in kind of in, in his life in Southern Florida and, and uh, what he does in between tournaments and, and things like that. And so in that sense, um, our, interests align. I remember thinking, I was telling somebody after I came back, I'm like, this is one of those rare stories where like what Brooks thinks is interesting about himself. And I think is interesting about him actually align, which is not always the case with athletes. Like I think he, he just kind of felt like there was a lot more that he wanted to say. And that was sort of what we wanted to, to get at. But in terms of just like interacting with him and personality, personality wise, one thing that I, I found refreshing also, I mean, just the we we had dinner the first night I was um, in town, which is in, in Jupiter, Florida, which many of your listeners will know um, as, you know, the home of probably a, a quarter of professional golfers um, on the LPGA or the senior or uh, Corn Ferry or PGA Tour. And so, you know, it's the total hub of these places, of, of these guys um, living down there. And yet he kind of keeps to himself um, in the area. I think he hangs out with Justin a little bit. But otherwise, it's him, it's his girlfriend, Jenna. It uh, is these buddies from West Palm where he grew up, which is about 20 minutes south of, of Jupiter. And, um, and so he's, he's very, very comfortable though. The, the, the first night we went out to dinner um, at this Michael, Michael Jordan uh, and Ernie Els owned uh, restaurant in Jupiter, which is, you know, kind of funny in and of itself. Gary player was hanging out there. They, they had a, a nice little interaction. He was, he was like super loose, comfortable. The, the hostess, um, was somebody he went to high school with, uh, was upstairs, had, you know, three or four cocktails, ordered, ordered, uh, you know, plenty, plenty of food. There was none of this sort of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, get loose in front of the reporter kind of thing, which I, I really like that, you know, it's the, it's the opposite of, okay, you can meet us at the locker room and, you know, do, do a half hour or something. And so, you know, that dinner was, it was a, a few hours and then did some more stuff the, the day after I was over at the house, um, as I described in the piece, you know, he's, he's kicked back for a lot of the afternoon, um, uh, you know, with a, a lip or a Kodiak and kind of just kicked back talking about, talking about this and that and golf and politics and all this stuff. His dog Cove is running around their yard. He's got his boat tied up down on the little river there. He's always out on the boat. Uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, one of his sponsors, only sponsors is Michelob Ultra, which kind of like tells you something about him, that that's like the one he, he went after. And so you, you get a sense of this sort of like, um, he, he, he was, uh, talking about like how he never wears sunscreen. He didn't, the, one of the, when they were taking his, his photo for the, for the magazine, the, the stylist had suggested he, he put some boat shoes on for the shot. And he looked at her like that was the, the craziest thing in the world that he would own a pair of boat shoes. So it's just like funny little, little things that, yeah, you, you haven't got from, from him, but when you kind of think about it, it's like, oh, this makes sense as a person who grew up down here played golf down here, went to Florida state, like the Florida of it all is, is very um, much a part of the, the sort of 
the the low key aspect, also like his kind of criticism of of um, some of the some of the stuffier elements of golf, I think comes from really um, regarding himself as being very laid back, very uh, very cool about kind of uh, just hanging out, except when he's on the golf course and he you know just wants to to crush you basically. Yeah, right. So I'm I'm interested. One of the things that um, maybe maybe it was deliberate, um, but it all it's also consistent with uh, you know some some of the persona that we've seen out of him in these uh, moments of candor that are, you know, sort of in- increasingly, uh, increasingly frequent, like he's kind of on a heater lately, <laughs> but uh, totally. is, 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 is the role of an outsider that it seems like, and this came through in the story, which is why I'm asking you about it um, because of his relatively unique uh, bursting upon the scene and the way that he, he developed his talent, which was, you know, he was a talented uh, golfer and, and, um, you know, played in college, but didn't go from college immediately on to tour instead went to Europe. Um, and he was not super dominant in high school or as a junior, he wasn't playing in the kinds of tournaments where he would be in proximity to other guys that are now on tour. Um, and then, you know, leaving the country as, you know, a, a, a new graduate from college and going to Europe and touring around, Europe had him necessarily not, you know, sort of in the circles of other uh, aspiring PGA professionals. And so his his sort of return to the U.S. and his bursting on the scene with this enormous amount of incredible success and what feels like a relatively compressed time frame, um, he has, I you know, he, he gives off this vibe of, you know, sitting on the outside of the inner golf sanctum with one eyebrow raised is, is that accurate? Um, did you encounter that with him? Yeah, definitely. And, and there's, there's something interesting. This kind of goes to the, the slight contradictions where he very much has that. I think I, I said in the piece, like when I, when I was with him, he talks so much about basketball and football and baseball and, um, and those other sports and really talking about the athleticism of the kind of golf he wants to play that it, it reminded me of, you know, happy Gilmore's I'm a hockey player, but I'm playing golf today sort of thing where it's like, well, you, you know, you're not, you're not actually that like, this is, this is the sport that, uh, you're the, you're the number one player in the world at, but it, it kind of can't totally, uh, you know, deal with that yet. And, and that's kind of interesting at the same time. I remember reading pieces a few years ago when he first emerged on tour where he was saying things like, in my mind, I'm already in that group with Jordan, Rory, and Jason, even though I'm not in it, uh, nowhere near it yet. Like, like he, he had this sort of irrational confidence. As you mentioned, he wasn't a dominant junior player. Um, he, he played at Florida State, but it's not like he was, um, you know, the, the consensus number one All-American or anything like that. And so he, he has this combination of, of, um, you know, kind of being that outsider and maybe a chip on his shoulder from not having that success, but also having that irrational confidence. I mean, even just, we, we were talking about, but not, not a lot. I hadn't seen a lot about his high school days. And I was asking him like when he kind of first knew, um, that he could be a dominant player and like he, he really wasn't winning junior tournaments even. And yet, I don't know if you remember Ty Tryon who turned pro when he was 16 he yeah, was a yeah. Florida kid, uh, sure. and 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 he, and he was looking at Ty Tryon being like, "Oh, that's that's what I want to do. Like, then I can skip college 
um, and just go straight to the PGA tour. So this was like a, you know, a young kid who wasn't winning junior tournaments, but was, was, you know, had planned out this route for himself to, uh, to become a pro without even going to college. So, so there's this funny combination of, of, again, like being almost like the ultimate insider, which is like, I can, I can take this inside track and, and, uh, kind of beat, beat golf, um, while also maintaining that credibility of not just, um, like we were talking about of, of the kind of outsiderness as an athlete, but in, in the piece, he, he, we spent a lot of time talking about other golfers, other pro golfers and how, you know, he says he, he was, he was kind of proud of the fact that he doesn't really hang out with those guys that, at, uh, you know, Tiger's restaurant, the woods or square grouper and in Jupiter, those places where, you know, a lot of these guys will post pictures from, um, once they, they win and come back to Jupiter or whatever, like he really likes that sort of separate, uh, ness. And I think that it, it probably fuels him a little bit. I mean, like he, 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 it's not in the story, but I remember him telling an anecdote where like his worst nightmare was like, would be being in a share house where like he would come in from the round and like talk about, the course with like some of the guys he's competing with, you know, like it's very important to him to be like very separate from that. And, um, you know, when he goes to, to majors, uh, he gets a house and it's a very small group of people as caddy, Ricky Elliott, his girlfriend, Jenna, um, maybe one or two reps or something like that. But it, it's very different than some of those, some of those guys who, you know, maybe pile into a big, big house to, to share costs or whatever. And, and I found that really, really interesting that, um, and, and maybe, you know, that's, that's part of the, the secret sauce of, um, of, of the majors. Even he mentioned they, they even started, uh, bringing a, a personal chef with them on, on those sorts of things. And I found that interesting, just that, that sheer like focus of, of, I'm really not interacting with these other players. Yeah. I I'm interested in, in, uh, one aspect of that, which is there is kind of a fine line between the, the swagger that he, uh, unmistakably, gives off and that he he exudes he he's clearly confident he shows confidence and um and 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 arrogance and i this is not uh a joe house word that's this is more of a sort of uh uh traditional golf media kind of thing um where there folks wonder aloud uh whether or not brooks you know is carrying around uh, and, and arrogance and, and arrogance doesn't necessarily have to be a bad word in this context. It could mean the same as swagger, but you know, when he's out there naming names, like he's, he's, he's called out Bryson DeChambeau. He called out Patrick Reed. You know, he, he was asked about slow play in the context of playing with JB Holmes and he was, uh, you know, quite candid. He didn't say JB's name, but he definitely was candid in, in sharing his views on the impacts of, of, of slow play and how uh, little enthusiasm he has for it. Do you think that it's deliberate for him, you know, with the, with this swagger slash kind of arrogance and, and his own uh, standing amongst, amongst that group? I, I, I have to imagine it is. Um, it, it reminds me, I'm, I'm sitting here smiling as you say all that stuff because it does seem it's such a rare thing in golf. And yeah, that's the sort of stuff that gets, me excited about him is that he, I really think again, like he, he's sort of like, how can I make this a little more like, um, like basketball or something, you know, this guy who loves the NBA and that's the sort of thing that, that you can imagine, um, you know, so, sort of his favorite players in the NBA doing and the way that, you know, when he talks about athletes that he, that he, um, models himself after and worships, I mean, um, our, our reporting, um, was, was kind of later in the fall. And, um, we talked a lot about 
Kobe and just the way that um, there was so much sort of internal focus. But when the time came to to say something or speak up and from from that platform, you know, that that was the way to um, to, to do that. And, and, and I don't know, there, there's just something about that that I find uh, very refreshing and uh, to, to kind of have people finally speaking up a little bit, you know, we'll see how, how what kind of effect it has. But it, it's important when um, I, I think that he probably, as he would say, like was, was feeling all these things for a while, but just kind of nobody was asking about it because when you're, you know, when before, before you're a guy who's won, won four majors, um, you, you know, maybe they're less interested in some of those, some of those uh, things and want you to tow the, the tour line a little bit more or whatever. But uh, it, it, I find it very, very um, kind of refreshing to have a little more conversation going on about things like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's the point you make is exactly the right one, which is you don't really hear it from other guys. There are not a lot of other guys out there calling out names um, and, or, or, you know, responding to questions where, where players are named um, and, and, you know, giving a candid answer in response to that. I I'm going to let you go in a minute, but I, I have, one thing that I, I absolutely positively need to hear about, which is you're a golfer. You grew up playing competitive golf in high school. And you mentioned in the story that you were able to get out to the golf course um, just to sort of catch him in his element, you know, getting a little oh, practice yeah. in by, by playing. Um, did you have your sticks with you? Um, I had them in the, uh, in the car, but I wasn't going to, uh, I wasn't going to impose myself on that practice round for him. Okay. No, it was, it was pretty great. It was pretty great though. Um, to, to be able to, to, you know, obviously we all, we all see these guys, um, from, from outside the ropes or, or get a close look, but it, but it is kind of fun to, um, to really be right on top of it like that and, and go, go around for a few holes and watch him on the range. But, uh, but no, didn't get to, didn't get to play directly with him, but got to see him. He joined up with his, his brother happened to be at the, the course that we were at, got to watch them play a little, little friendly match together. Yeah. You mentioned that I was hoping that, that you got him to rate your swing. I was hoping you got yeah. some Brooks Kepka feedback. Cause you know that he, he'd tell the truth. Um, he, he definitely would. It's a, it's a great story. It's in the March issue of GQ magazine, uh, available online and at newsstands everywhere. Danny Riley, I'm going to let you go, but uh, you, you, uh, in the same way we've been talking about the duality of Brooks, you have a, a whole nother persona, a whole nother professional uh, interest, and that is, uh, as a novelist, you have a book coming out. That's right. So it's it's magazine stories and these and these books, and so the uh, the, the new novel is coming out in a couple months here. It's called Barcelona Days from Little Brown, and um, a fairly different different world than uh, professional golf in Southern Florida, but um, but but hopefully, if you like if you like what you read, you'll uh, you'll check that out too. What, what's it about? Are you allowed to say? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. It's about um, some some young Americans and in uh, in Barcelona who get um, who get stuck there. When do you remember that Icelandic volcano that that went off and kind of trapped people for for a little while in in yeah. um, in Europe a, a few years ago, and so kind of premised on that but it's about um kind of late late 20s relationships and and these four these four americans um who kind of are uh, are trying to figure out their lives and blowing things up a little bit oh i love it and and uh if you had known that you were going to interview brooks kepka you could have maybe gotten some research for him because he did spend some time um there that's is right that, that... The, the, the americans in europe it's a favorite topic of mine maybe that is what ultimately was the uh <laughs> the difference maker for brooks is he has a little 
he has a little flavor from those those years abroad. Well, the, the, there we go. Uh, Daniel Raleigh, the next time you write um, about golf, you have to come on again. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, House. I really appreciate this. This was a, a lot of fun to do. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you again soon. All right, there we go. Thank you, Danny Riley. One of the known advantages that Brooks Kepka possesses in these major tournaments is his putting. I have to use this opportunity to talk about the brand new Odyssey Golf triple track putters. When it comes to putting, alignment, arguably the most important part of that equation, which is why Odyssey continues to set the standard for alignment performance with their brand new triple track putters. There are three distinct alignment lines centered on every triple track putter head. And if you're using the triple track balls, which you're supposed to be using, you can line them up. The the triple track balls are available in the ERC model, in the Chrome Soft model. You line them up. It's shocking how much easier it is when you have the putter and the ball all with The lines, it's the same visual technology used to land jet airplanes on aircraft carriers. It's that reliable and accurate. Once you're lined up correctly, obviously you can focus on making a great stroke just the way that Brooks Kepka does in the majors with a consistency enhancing stroke lab shaft. Get lined up with the new triple track putters at odysseygolf.com. Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. All right, we're going to talk about this gambling platform, this collaboration between Action Network and the PGA Tour, and we're also going to get some picks on the Arnold Palmer Invitational with our boy Jason Sobel. But before we get over there, I want to talk to you about Nobu Los Cabos. Nobu Hotel Los Cabos, the first Nobu Hotel in Mexico. The 200-room property seamlessly blends contemporary Japanese minimalism with locally sourced natural Mexican materials and finishes. Guests at Nobu Hotel Los Cabos have access to two exclusive golf courses designed by golf legends Davis Love III and Tiger Woods, part of that guy, at Diamante Cabo San Lucas, the Dunes course by DL3, was ranked number 36 in the world, in the world, I repeat myself, by Golf Magazine in 2017, and the number one course in all of Mexico, named that by Golf Digest in 2016. The hotel features world-renowned dining options, including an oceanfront Nobu restaurant and a farm-to-table restaurant, Malibu Farm. They have four infinity pools featuring private swim-up cabanas, private beach cabanas, four super cabanas, uh, equipped with a full bathroom, day bed, living area, TV. You can live that luxe life at the Nobu Hotel. The Essencia Wellness, this is a giant gym and and, and yoga and spa joint, 13,000 square feet with 3,000 square feet of full-service gym equipment. Get that pump. Get that Brooks pump going. An indoor-outdoor yoga and spinning area. Visit NobuHotelLosCabos.com or contact your preferred travel professional. My Par Saving Pals, this episode also brought to us by Sales Genie, a product of Info Group. If you are in sales, marketing, or you own your own business, I own my own business, listen up. For nearly 50 years, Info Group has helped professionals 
succeed just like you, just like me. We all know the number one reason salespeople and businesses fail in general is because they're challenged in finding new clients or customers. I'm here to tell you all you need is the right audience to call on or market to. Sales Genie. It's the proven way to find, acquire, and retain customers. Now, Sales Genie can't make you pick up the phone or bring your next customer to your doorstep, but it will provide you all the B2B and B2C audiences for prospecting, whether it's calling, direct mail, email, or display advertising. If you are serious about finding your next customer and growing your business, give Sales Genie a call for your free 14-day trial. Call 866-485-7599 or go to www.salesgenie.com slash golf. That's salesgenie.com slash golf. Or you can do it the human being way. Call 866-485-7599. All right, my par-saving pals now on the tee from the Action Network. He's also a contributor to Sirius XM PGA Tour and Sirius XM Fantasy. Jason Sobel, what's happening, buddy? Life is good. I'm doing well. If we're now on the tee, I always take two off the tee. So I, I get a first one if I duck hook it, right? You are at home. This is exactly, We are all about a, uh, a breakfast ball just to get ourselves situated. There we go. Speaking of breakfast ball, I feel like I might need to to grant you a mulligan because, first of all, uh-huh. that's way too many dumb golf jokes. But <laughs> this this just announced collaboration between Action Network and the PGA Tour in this co-branded yeah. collaboration golf bet. You were on this show like a month ago. We were talking golf betting, and there was no, you didn't give any hinting. There was no hints. But it obviously had to have been in the works. It was definitely in the works. It's funny. I've had people come up to me at the Arnold Palmer Invitational today, and I've had a bunch of people come up to me saying, did you know this was happening? I'm like, yeah, I knew it was happening. I knew it was happening for a long time. Of course I knew. And I was trying not to drop any hints, uh, maybe some subtle ones. But, yeah, it's a, it's a great move for us. It's a great move for the PGA Tour. It's an even better move. I'm going to sound like a press release here, but even a better move for Golf fans out there and betters and people that want to be more informed about the game it just means more data, more information, more content, uh, both on our site and the PGA Tour site working together. So golf bets can be really, really good. So um, help me understand, what is it? It's a great question. Uh, basically, it's a content sharing platform where um, we're going to keep doing what we do, except more of it. And more on their space as well. And they're going to be sharing stuff with us as well. So uh, basically we're putting together um, sort of an all encompassing platform where if you want to bet every day and very soon, very, very soon, every shot out on the PGA tour, we're going to be out here watching everything that goes on. We're going to be able to help people who want to have a little action on stuff. And as I always say, I told you house last time, even if you don't want action, even if there are people out there that say, I like golf, I just don't want to put my money on it. Fine. You know what? I think it makes you more personally invested in what's going on. I think it has gives you more of an interest in day-to-day uh, goings-on on the PGA Tour. Like we said last time, 
There are four days a week at every seven. There's a PGA Tour event going on. It's really fun to sweat some golf. But even if you're just a golf fan, it makes you smarter about what you're watching. So in the first place, it will be a source of information, and you'll be able to access it from both uh, Action Network and from the PGA Tour. Will there be buttons on both sites? Correct, yeah. And I, I don't know that all of our content will be on their site. All of, our, all of their content will be on our site. But, yeah, it's going to be a collaborative effort between the two of us. And it, like I said, it's just all, all good things, all good things. And, um, you know, quite honestly, I think they wanted to get into the gaming space. I don't know that they wanted to do it themselves. They kind of wanted to farm it out a little bit. So we formed this partnership where we're working with the PGA Tour. And um, uh, it's really progressive from them. I, I don't think this was happening. In fact, I know it wasn't happening a, a year ago. They were not ready to get into this. And the fact, they are now and they see uh, the benefits of getting fans more invested in what they're watching, more engaged. Um, it's a really good thing moving forward. Well, as you, as you know, and in fact, you just documented in a great story that's on uh, Action Network right now that everybody should go check out about this most recent weekend at the Honda Classic. You had a pal in town. You have an annual uh, convening of pals. And you wrote in, in heartbreaking detail about the personal <laughs> relationship that we gamblers, people that have a little skin in the game, even DFS, you know, if you have a deep entering da- daily fantasy lineups, the personal relationships we develop with the players <laughs> on tour competing in the events and the up close and personal uh, interaction that you and your buddy had with Brendan Steele last week, right? Uh, so I've been out here for 16 years. I've never had a more fun piece that I've written. I, I've, I've probably written better pieces. This was more fun to write than anything I've ever done. So basically what it was, a buddy of mine came down to play in a golf tournament for the weekend of the Honda Classic. And I'm buddies with Brendan Steele. I was walking with him during the program on Wednesday afternoon. I said, hey, by the way, you got any extra tickets? My buddy's coming to town. He said, yeah, yeah, here you go. So I texted my friend. I said, hey, Steele just gave me a few tickets, so you're all set for the weekend. And he texted back immediately. $100 on Brendan Steele outright to win at 100 to 1. And so he knew he was coming. We were going to sweat it the whole weekend. Didn't know how much we'd be sweated, but uh, Steele made a really good run at it. He was leading after two rounds. He was one back going into the final round and came really close, finished the share of fourth place. But, man, it was a cool sweat. I documented everything. So it's on actionnetwork.com, the Action Network app. If you want to check it out, it's still up there. It's, uh, like I said, uh, about the most fun thing I've ever been able to do out here on the PGA Tour as far as uh, something that I wrote, really bringing a firsthand experience to the, uh, to the users out there. Yeah, but that's what golf bet represents in terms of, of the opportunity here, in terms of you know the kind of information that, that the tour will be sharing, that Action Network will be sharing, where you can identify some longer shot guys, you know, and, and try and create this this idea of of value. And and I know you have your Arnold Palmer invitational um uh entry up on the site right now and that uh, it begins with this idea of value but this is i think if if uh now let me ask this question golf bet is just going to be information right you can't also from the site go and attempt to place bets is that correct you will not be able to place bets but we do have affiliates where you go kind of through us and click onto the affiliates and place bets through there um, so there is, there is that you can't place bets, but we will, yes, we'll give you the information and, uh, fairly soon we're going to have a whole lot of data up there as well. I think, uh, I think that's going to happen in the very near future where, where you say, Hey, look, I don't want to listen to Sobo. I want to listen to those other guys. I want to make my own decisions. 
You want to pour through the data, you want to pour through the numbers, the stats, we are going to have that available on our site as well. Well, one of the things that uh, I'm, I'm excited about, and this also fits the story um, with your pal, is, is a couple things. In the first place, this feels like we are ushering in the kind of golf gambling menu that we only get four times a year at the majors. And really the biggest gambling major uh, menu is at um, the time of the masters where there's a whole variety of things that if you're interested in gambling on, on, on golf, you can gamble on whether or not there's going to be a hole in one, what the lowest score will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those kinds of things um, are only right now available um, in the majors, but I'm really looking forward to that menu expanding and that ought to build some interest, but also included in that is the idea of the each way bet, which is, you know, uh, popular in Canada and Europe and not available uh, with any of the books that I, I mess with domestically. Um, and also some, some live bet opportunities, both of which, uh, the each way bet and a live bet opportunity might've helped your boy hedge a little bit with steel uh, on yeah. the back nine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like if you're looking at 10 grand, there's a hedge out there on a 10 grand bet. Yeah. It, that would have been really nice. Uh, again, I'm, I'm pumping out some more content here, but I did a Q and a with Jeff Sherman, who's uh, at golf odds on Twitter. He's fantastic. He's the, um, he's the manager of risk management, uh, VP of risk management at the, uh, Superbook USA. I did a Q and a with him. I said, yeah, where's, where's the future of golf betting? He said very soon, um, basically right now the masters is sort of, uh, like a playoff game in any other sport. And, you know, the, the weekly events are kind of the regular season games very soon. Weekly events could look like playoff games and the masters looks like the super bowl. And I think that's what we're inching towards, uh, gradually right now. And, and we're getting there pretty quickly. So, uh, like I said, I think there's going to be way more live betting options very soon. I would love to see each way betting available here in U.S. books. I would love to see, we talked about it last time, I want to be able to fade guys. I want to be able to short guys. If you don't like a guy going into an event, I want to do matchups, uh, not just the one or two guys that you find in your book against that guy, but I want 100 matchups against the guy if I really don't like him on a given week. I think that could be uh, something that has a ton of value to betters out there. So, again, we're getting there. Uh, we're in the process of it. I think we had this pod three years, five years from now, maybe not even that far down the line. We'll say, can you remember a time when if you had to bet against a guy in a PGA tour event, there was only one other guy you could take him against. That was ridiculous. Uh, we are really in the rudimentary stages right now of what golf betting is and is becoming. And it's going to get much bigger. This is not going to stay stagnant for much longer. Yeah, the the legendary make the cut and miss the cut parlays that are going to be uh, available through this is just going to be so much yes, fun. Sir. All all the whole cottage industry of cut sweat and everything along those lines. I want to talk about the uh, API, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Get your feelings; it is in your backyard. But before we get there, I just have to make one last plea: Can we, on this collaborative information platform, figure out? Some way that doesn't make the guys feel self-conscious or, or, you know, discloses any confidences. Can we get an injury report of some kind, something that just says like when guys like the last time somebody had a, uh, you know, knee surgery or something we have, cause the, 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 the fact we heard just a few weeks ago, Brooks Kepka um, played the Genesis and complained 
on Thursday that his knee hurt more than in any time other than when he had the surgery. Um, and that would have been good information to know if you were <laughs> somebody invested a little bit in Brooks that week. I think that as far as we'll get is so-and-so had surgery and he's out for four to six weeks. I, I think that that's a, a very good possibility in the near future that, you know, if a guy isn't playing golf, that he will be on some injury report. I can't see though, where a player shows up Monday afternoon at the tournament, registers at the tournament, and there's a line on his registration that says injury status. And the guy says, well, my elbow kind of hurts this week. I'm going to play, but you know, I don't feel great. I, I just don't see them giving up sort of that sort of personal information. And quite frankly, I don't know if the surgery type injury reports really help you because if a guy's not playing that week, you're not betting on him anyway. And so if Brooks Kepka has knee surgery and he's out for two months, uh, you're not making a bet on Brooks Kepka. You know that he's out. And, and so Brooks saying, hey, my knee's hurting more than it had in the past. Boy, that would really help you on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday when you're going into the event. I just don't envision us finding out that information without guys like me out here talking to 120, 144, 156 players in the field and finding out the injury status of every single guy, which, quite frankly, is absolutely impossible. Sobel, that's, but that's what I'm asking for. I mean, this collaboration has to be has to be uh, uh, helpful in terms of building out additional resources. I mean, let's let's we can split it up. Each each uh, journalist gets ten guys. Anyway, I understand, and I but I do think through an information platform like this, to the extent that um, there is information, this happens quite a bit with Jason Day, where he's always candid, sure. and this is one of the things I admire about him. He people give him a hard time because he's often. Uh, in some kind of physical distress, but he also does <laughs> disclose it in in kind of real time and lets you go ahead and and navigate around him appropriately. Well, without a coach or without a trainer, really, I mean, in, in the NBA, the trainer will check out a guy at the morning shoot around and he'll say, you know, this guy's questionable for tonight. Hopefully, if you know his ankle looks better when they get there, the game, you know, hopefully he'll give it a go. Whereas it's all opinion basically out here. So Jason day is a guy who you're right. He's very upfront, very honest about what's hurting him, what's ailing him at the moment. And Jason day would probably consider himself questionable on any given week, just because he's a little more pessimistic than other guys, whereas other guys might have the same injury or something worse and say, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. I'm I'm playing. this week. Okay. Well, we'll just, we'll just get, We'll agree to, to have it a work in progress. I mean, it's just information. All, all we're after at the end of the day is any unique information that might help. Because this is such splitting hairs. As as, as everybody knows who, who reads your columns on the Action Network and, and building DFS lineups and what we try and do here on Fairway Rolling, which is try and give out a couple winners. Um, I want to talk about the API and uh, begin with this week in Tiger Woods. Tiger! Tiger! And this week in Tiger Woods, he's not playing the API. <laughs> he's not playing. I don't pick him this week. How does that sound? That's a it's a great call by you. Uh, I can see this collaboration <laughs> with the tour is already paying off. Um, this just real quick, what is what is the word? Uh, your boots on the ground there with with you know the the tour machine. Um, the players is next week, and the indications are that Tiger wants to be ready for the players and 
for the match play event before the Masters. Um, what's the sentiment on the ground about Tiger? Well, first things first. Uh, before he didn't commit last week and when we were still kind of up in the air as to whether Tiger would play this week, I remember telling someone, if he commits, that means that last year when he said he had a little bit of a neck injury and didn't play here uh, last year after being an eight-time champion, that, you know, okay, he really had an injury. If he, if he didn't play last year and came back this year, it really was something that was bothering him a year ago. Instead, if he wasn't going to play this week, then that just means I don't know that he's ever playing the Arnold Palmer Invitational again. I just don't know that it's on the schedule. Based on where it sits in the schedule right now, and they're going to change things up a little bit next year. It was reported the Honda is going to move after the Players' Championship, but I don't think that helps Tiger's chances of playing the API at all because the API is still going to be one week ahead of the Players' Championship. I just don't know that we'll see him back here. And maybe uh, ceremonially in a few years when – uh, he's up there a little bit in age and wants to reminisce a little and come back here and relive those old memories. But uh, I'm just not sure we see Tiger back here. So, yes, he wants to get ready for the players. Yes, he wants to get ready for presumably the match play. But honestly, he wants to get ready for the Masters. They had a teleconference call, as they do every year, with the Masters champion last Tuesday. And uh, Tiger outright said, I need to get myself ready for the Masters. And that's the foremost thing on my mind right now. And uh, according to him, the Arnold Palmer Invitational is not going to get him ready for the Masters, and it's hard to argue with him. I mean, obviously, it worked in past years when he won here and went to the Masters and played really well, but last year didn't play here and won the Masters, so how are you going to argue he should come back here this year and try to play and try to give it a go and maybe tax his body a little bit too much before he gets to Augusta in April? Right, and and we are at this juncture of his career where he has to be so selective because even when he is in shape and in form, he experiences fatigue. And, you know, we saw it at the president's cup. He was out there kicking ass on, on Thursday and Friday and had to completely shut it down on Saturday so that he could participate in the single match, uh, on, on, on Sunday. I mean, I think that is, uh, just the, uh, the, a sheer function of the numbers game. That is Tiger Woods' potential schedule uh, on tour now, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, for as much as we would love to see him come to the Arnold Palmer Invitational this week and win this event, then go play the players and play well, and then go play Tampa where he finished second place a couple of years ago, and then play a few more and get into the Masters with a whole bunch of starts under his belt. We as fans, we as people in the game would love to see that. I just don't think, first of all, it's feasible. And secondly, if you want to see Tiger go out and try to defend his master's title, the best way for him to do it is to take some rest and take some weeks off and, and not be playing right now and be ready for the masters because you don't want a tiger, a tired tiger, a worn out tiger going to Augusta. Obviously that's not going to work well for him. No. And we know what that looks like. We saw it at the PGA championship last year where he didn't right. have any time at all to recover after the masters win. And it was a enormously draining, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So that's where that's not a knock, but you know, we know what it looks like when he's fatigued. I think the same was true of the open championship. I think, you know, he'd done some worldwide international travel and he was, has a heart was having a hard time getting his body clock synced up, even though he was, he did a, uh, uh, I don't remember his Instagram post or something about setting his, his alarm clock, but, um, in, in any event, okay. So I, I, we're on the same page. We want tiger healthy and at the height of his powers for the masters. And if the price that we have to pay 
in the meantime is seeing him in in some regulatory events that he's previously put his stamp on. I'm willing to pay that price because I want to see him perform well uh, at the majors. Speaking of performing well uh, and and kind of streaky um, behavior, though, I want to talk about the fact that the international international players have won each of the past four of these events. And we're in this kind of international moment right now because a whole bunch of guys from the in, the international team at the President's Cup yeah. in December keep kicking ass on tour this year, including Sung Jae-im, who just won uh, the Honda a handful of days ago. So what this are you expecting? So good. He's he's unbelievable. I am kicking myself for not having anything on him. I've had him in lineups for a year now. How did we Me miss? Too. I'm right there with you. With a little bit on SJ. He's a he's a bomber. He's a killer. And to his great credit, speaking of guys uh, and the numbers game, and he plays every tournament that's available. If there's a golf tournament on this on the calendar, a professional golf tournament, he's in it. He's played the most rounds of of anybody. He doesn't have a home. Seriously. Sungjae <laughs> right. doesn't have a home. He doesn't live anywhere. You know where he lives? He lives wherever the tour is playing that week. And he goes and stays in a hotel. And then he goes to the next event and he lives there for a week. That's unbelievable to me. I mean, I, as a guy who's out on the road following the PGA Tour at 15 to 18 times a year, I'm telling you, when you get back home, there's nothing like it. You get to sleep in your own bed. You get to see your friends. You get to just be away from the game a little bit. I love not being on the road after doing this for so long. I love being on the road, but I love being off the road as well and being at home. And the fact that he doesn't even have a home because the guy just wants to go out and play golf every single week is really, first of all, impressive. Secondly, it goes to show, and I think a lot of young players uh, today, a lot of the 21, 22, 23-year-old up-and-coming superstars tend to look at the blueprint set by Tiger, by Rory, by guys who are very selective in their schedules. And they say, look, you've got to get your downtime and you can't go out there every single week. Maybe now some of these young guys look at Sungjae and they say, you know, the more events you play, the more chance you have at winning. And it's just a numbers game. And Sungjae might've looked at, if he was playing a selective schedule, might've said, you know, the Honda, it's leading into a big stretch. It's always windy there. And I don't know if I want to, you know, go after it that week and tax my body. And he very well, if he was being more selective, like other guys, his age, who are really good players out here on tour. He might've said, you know, I'm going to skip it and move on. And he wouldn't have won that golf tournament, but instead going out there every week gives yourself a chance. And uh, he took that chance and he ran with it. And he's now a PGA tour champion. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him win one or two more times for the rest of the year as well. Yeah. I, I am in the exact same position as you. And you hit on the sort of the key factor, which is his age. He's only 21. Um, and, you know, living this kind of on the road lifestyle, that's definitely a young man's game. And I, I, from the stories that I've seen about him uh, living this lifestyle, he has his, his, his parents, um, su- you know, support. I don't know how much they actually are traveling with him from venue to venue, but I, I, I know I've seen stories that suggest he has decent infrastructure and that he's just grinding. You know, it's just, he's singularly focused. He recognizes um, that this is a, an opportunity for him at this stage of his life, and he's just happy grinding. So that's that's what he does. Yeah, and at some point, he's going to say, look, I, I need a break. At some point, the guy's going to get tired. He looks like an absolute machine right now. First, 
uh, the, the number of events that he plays. And secondly, the swing looks like an iron Byron. Uh, it looks like he's just out there uh, with the exact same swing every time he hits the ball. Uh, but at some, at some point, you grow up a little, you say, look, I want to live somewhere. Um, I don't want my parents around all the time. Uh, you know, we all get to that point. We're like, hey, it's time to, you know, fly away from the nest a little bit. He's certainly got enough money to go do whatever he wants to do now. And, and you would think he'd get away from it at some point a little bit. You know, now that he can set the schedule, he's in every major championship, every WGC. And that's really, uh, that's a big nut for a lot of these guys out here. It's not just the check that comes with winning. It's not just the prestige and the trophy. It's being able to set your schedules, being able to say, all right, well, now I can go wherever I want, whenever I want, and play the tournaments where the big boys are playing. And the fact that he's going to go out, presumably, uh, and maybe he changes his, uh, his strategy now based on the fact that he's won, but presumably keeps playing every single week. Uh, again, he just gives himself more chances. And uh, if his body can take it and his mind and his heart are still into it, then more power to him. Yeah, that's ex- that's exactly right. All right, let's talk about um, some guys that you like for this week. It's a it's a packed field, notwithstanding uh, Tiger not being part of it, because the guys the Euro the Euros are all here now for this run from uh, the Players Championship next week up through the Masters. So we have the potential for great international fields, plus all the 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 U.S. guys. Uh, who are you mm-hmm. looking at for the for the Arnold Palmer Invitational? Well, first of all, before I get into it, Rory's going to wreck all our cards, isn't he? I mean, Rory is five to one, five and a half to one, in a field of 120 players. It's just it, he's very, very well going to win this golf tournament. He's playing so well. He's got six straight top five finishes around the world. Um, and, and you know, if you're playing DFS lineups, absolutely throw them in there, and then try to get a couple of cheaper guys to balance it out later in the lineup, but I, I can't bring myself to bet on a guy who's five to one, five and a half to one. Maybe guys out there that are betting big money on events and can have a little return on investment can go out there and say, Hey, look, I think he's going to win. And even at those short odds, I'm still going to take him. but I, I'm starting the card a little bit deeper. I love Bryson DeChambeau. I think Bryson's about to go on a run. I spoke with him for about 15 minutes after he finished in fifth place at Riviera a few weeks ago. And he said, look, I put on about 25 pounds of muscle in the offseason. We all know that. Said almost immediately, I was hitting my drives much further than I ever had before, which is great. That was the whole reason I did this. But my wedges weren't where I needed them to be. And, and I, my short game was not the way I had uh, been, been playing it for the last few years out here on tour. And so it took him a while to get dialed in with the short game. But he told me after Riviera, he goes, I got it now. I, I finally got it dialed in the next week. Finished runner-up in Mexico, had a chance to win that one. Got uh, got knocked back at the stretch, down the stretch by Patrick Reed, who won that golf tournament. But uh, a fifth place and a second place finish for Bryson um, in his last two starts. He was runner-up here a couple of years ago to Rory, so he's got some good history at this event. Like Bryson a lot. I like Hideki Matsuyama, another guy trending in the right direction. Sixth or better in his last two starts. He's never missed a cut here at the API. Uh, two guys who. Quite frankly, I'm looking for them to build on those good recent trends and uh, maybe go into Augusta as guys who aren't necessarily favorites, you know, aren't way down the board, but aren't favorites uh, of guys that we could bet at Augusta and we have a, a good feeling about going into that one. And then I look a little bit further down because 
Each of the last three winners of the primary events, take out Victor Hovland in Puerto Rico because he was the favorite there, and he yeah. won. But the primary events on the PGA Tour, so you had uh, the Genesis where Adam Scott won. He was 30-1 to pre-tournament. You had Mexico. Patrick Reed was 40-1. to And last week, Sung J.M. at the Honda, he was 30-1. to So there's a little sweet spot there. It's these guys that are kind of 10th to 15th on the odds board coming in. Certainly names that you know, but not necessarily the favorites in the field. And so I'm looking in that area, and the guy that I look at that I really like this week, again, with some course history, finished runner-up here last year, Matt Fitzpatrick. He's been good but not great this year. I expect him to have a really nice kind of Florida swing moving in towards the Masters. Again, another guy that I think can play well at the Masters. I'm not sure I'd go as far as to pick him to win, but uh, DFS lineups, top five, top ten bets. Uh, I like Matt Fitzpatrick a lot, and I'm I'm picking him to win based on that recent trend uh, that we've seen over the last few weeks. I like that, and and I especially like it because you took the pressure off of me from having to take Bryson because Bryson is very high on my card. Also, I just didn't want to have to to confess it. All right, I'm going to do my Callaway Golf Maverick Driver Pick of the Week for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So Callaway knows Sobel, you can't create new distance by doing the same old, same old. It takes unconventional thinking to create something transformative like picking a winner. And that's what Callaway did with this brand new Maverick driver. It has a flash based technology that was designed using advanced artificial intelligence. And the Maverick driver is off to a dominant start in 2020, helping Callaway lead the way as the number one driver brand across the major worldwide tours this year. Okay, so I liked both Bryson and Hideki. I'm glad you gave them out. Fitzpatrick is terrific value at, what is he, what'd you say, 50 to 1? 40. 40 to 1. That's great value. I'm looking at another guy at 40 to 1 that also fits a couple of the top line trend lines here. A guy that's a little bit off the beaten path just in terms of showing up on our golf radar screens, but has an impeccable resume here at Bay Hill. I'm, I'm going to go with Henrik Stenson. You haven't heard his, his name a ton because he's been playing in, in Europe and hasn't been over here in the States uh, doing PGA Tour events, but he did just win Tiger's event down in the Bahamas in December, which suggests good form at the as the new year arrived. And he, he uh, had played in both Dubai and Saudi Arabia and was perfectly competent at both of those venues. The reason I'm taking him, he he loves Bay Hill. He owns Bay Hill. Five top tens in the last seven trips uh, to Bay Hill. And, you know, a guy that you don't worry about if the wind picks up because his ball striking is always the thing um, and his experience there, he is not going to feel out of place if we get weird wind like what occurred at um, the Honda last week. And by weird, I just mean in, intense. It's not weird that it's windy at those venues sometimes. I just mean, you know, it was a little unexpected and it, it changed directions over the course of the four days. So if that happens mm-hmm. here at the API, Henrik can handle it. What do you think about Henrik Stenson? I hate that pick because I'm totally on the yes. same page with you. And this is, <laughs> this is going so wrong so far because you and I are just agreeing on everything and that can't be good. Henrik Stenson, I, I like him. I haven't picked him to win or necessarily top five. He's my favorite matchup bet. I'm already on record. My favorite matchup this week 
Henrik Stenson plus money against Jason Day. We mentioned Day earlier. He's got all these ailments. He said he can't putt for more than half an hour at a time because it hurts too much. And yeah, he's actually played okay this year. He's only played three times. He's got a 16th place finish, a fourth place finish, then missed the cut in his last start. But yeah, you know, a little inconsistent. I know Day has played well here, but Henrik Stenson at plus money in that matchup to me is a uh, a really, really nice matchup for him. So, yeah, I'm on the same page with you. I really like Henrik Stenson based on the course history. And a lot of people look at him and say, well, another foreign guy, you know, a guy from Sweden coming over here to the States. This is a home game for Henrik. He lives 20 minutes away, lives over at Lake Nona, has for a long time. So the fact that he can just roll up here in his own car, park right in the lot, sleep in his own bed, I think that really helps him. And it has over the years. Well, I think uh, that is a perfect way for all of our Eagle enthusiasts out there. Try and build some lineups. Those are some names that aren't necessarily not, not chalk names. Rory is the chalk name. And if you have to have something on Rory, wait till till the live odds market. Do something a little bit longer shot. Pick a guy in that 40 to 50 range. And then if Rory's just going to kick everybody's ass, go ahead and bite the bullet cover your bet with a live bet on, on Saturday or Sunday morning. I mean, maybe that's a strategy out there for all the, all the birdie buddies, Jason Sobel, always a pleasure. His Twitter at Jason Sobel, S A S O B E L T A N the action network, right? So at Jason Sobel, T A N. Thank you for coming on, buddy. We're going to keep an eye out for, for some of the very first entries here on golf bet. We're very excited. Uh, Thanks so much. Alex. golf. That's going to be awesome. You and I are either going to win big or we're going to lose big together this week because we're on the same page with everything. Best of luck to all everybody out there on a little bit of ROI. All right, my par-saving pals. There you go. My thanks to Daniel Riley and Jason Sobel. We are back next week. We're going to recap the API. We're going to preview the Players' Championship. I think I'm going to have an actual live human player on the pod next week. Megan Schuster is ready. Golf Social has been building her triumphant 2020 debut with Golf Social. That's next week. And we have a giveaway. You're going to have to listen to next week's show. It's something Maverick. It has to do with bombs. If you want a Maverick that hits bombs, you have to listen to next week's show. We're going to do a massive Maverick giveaway. Until next week, my Eagle enthusiasts, let's hit them straight out there. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.